You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Because it is the first Sunday together of the new year, I felt called to speak a message to kind of hopefully give us a, a reinforcing boost or, or, or a perspective change as we, as we go forward in the new year. And so if you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to be going through verses 1 to 11. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 11. And uh, you'll have to excuse me because I am sick, so if I sound nasally or stuffed up, it's because I'm nasally and stuffed up. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 11. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be, swall- may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore... Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Awesome, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this church. And Lord, as we we stand here together, as we pour our hearts to you, we acknowledge that you're the one that brought us together here this morning. You're the one that's building this church, Lord God. And and so I pray that we, uh, as your vessels, Lord God, would just lay down our lives for you and allow you to work in us and through us, especially as we go into the new year, Lord. We thank you for what you have in store for this church, for each and every person here this morning, Lord, and that you would be glorified as you work in and through us, Lord. I thank you for your word, and I pray that it would challenge us and convict us this morning, Lord, and and help us to know you better. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, being the first week of 2017, I'm sure some of us are probably making resolutions of what we'd like to accomplish or how we'd like to mature or change our habits this year. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm sure some of you uh, probably think resolutions are the devil and refuse to make them for whatever reason. Because you keep failing. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's why I don't make them. Um, but regardless of our opinions and resolutions, I'd like to ask this. What if, what if every one of us made at least one resolution uh, this year, or rather a per- perspective shift this year in our lives? Not a random one, but this one specifically. To live each day in anticipation, in anticipation of Jesus' return. To live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. 
Not to be confused with cliche phrases like live like you were dying or you only live once or live life to its fullest, which are fine. But they're phrases that more often than not motivate us to create a personalized bucket list of what, of what we want to accomplish or experience for ourselves right before our time is up. That's what those phrases do. But instead, to live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. Why? Well, primarily, first of all, because he is coming again. He is returning, and not as a, as a humble baby as we just celebrated at Christmas, right? But as the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's coming to restore heaven and earth and raise up all who believe into resurrection life, right? He's coming to destroy the wicked and judge the earth with perfect justice and righteousness. He's coming to gather his church, us, into the new Jerusalem, into the, the presence of God, to dwell with him in glory, right? Where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, just joy, just rejoicing. And that, that is our home. That is our home. I don't know about all of you, but when I'm away from home, especially for a long period of time, I start to get homesick, right? And it's obvious here in this passage that we just read that Paul, who wrote it, he's homesick. He's homesick. He has Christ's return in, in his heart and his heavenly home on his mind, and he's waiting for it, and he's longing for it. In fact, he moves and breathes and suffers and rejoices in expectation and anticipation for that day. And just think about how if we all had that perspective, that same, how that same outlook would change the way that we lived. Would change the way that we interpreted every moment of our day. If we had that perspective constantly on our mind. Because it would. In fact, it would change everything. If we not only believed but anticipated Christ's glorious return. Because... A lot of us believe in the theology of Christ's return, right? But do we anticipate it? If we anticipated Christ's return, it would most definitely transform our motives. It would transform our priorities, our goals and our dreams, our attitude towards one another. Also, our resolve in any and every circumstance. Right? So it's no surprise that Jesus' return is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. 300 times in the New Testament. Sometimes as a warning for unbelievers, right? Though for Christians, it was often written as a reminder to first be watchful and ready, but secondly, as an encouragement, as a, as a reason to stand firm in faith, to persevere through trials, and to continue in good works. Think about it like this, hypothetically speaking, right? If you found out for sure through the grapevine or whatever, or an angel came and told you, if you found out for sure that Jesus was coming next week, if he was coming next week, just think about this. How would that change the way that you live your life today? How would it change what and who is important in your life? How would you spend your time and your money differently? Right? Because that's how we're actually supposed to be living right now. Or better yet, would the Bible seem as boring of a book since the last time you picked it up two weeks ago if you knew that Jesus was coming in one week? Would you, spill, would you still spend more time binge-watching Gilmore Girls than praying? 
right? This, this isn't a, a silly or small resolution to make. This is a courageous one, a challenging one for sure. But if we lived each day and interpreted each moment with the lens of Jesus coming again, our lives will be transformed in ways that we can't even imagine. And it's honestly how we're supposed to live as Christians anyway. Titus 2, 11 to 14, is one of the many examples of this attitude that we're supposed to have. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's Christmas and Easter, right there. For the grace of God has appeared, Christmas, bringing salvation for all people, Easter. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's right now. And then verse 13, what are we doing? Waiting. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right, so as Christians, we put a lot of focus on the cross, which is good and correct, uh, because the cross, Jesus laying down his life for our sins so we could be forgiven, so we could be reconciled with God. That's central, that's foundational in our faith. Right? It's our salvation, it's our life, it's our freedom. Right? But what I like about this passage from Titus in particular is that while it ends, while it ends and begins uh, with its focus on Jesus' sacrifice for us, it also reminds us in the middle that what Jesus accomplished at the cross, what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection, hasn't been fully revealed yet. We're waiting, it says, for Jesus to come again. We're waiting for our blessed hope to appear. In fact, the whole earth longs for it and groans with it as well. Where every good thing that we see, every blessing, every miracle, every, every smile, every laugh we see gives us a small glimpse of what it'll look like. And conversely, every injustice, every, every disease, every tragedy, every act of evil should stir in us a deeper longing for the just and perfect judge to come and redeem it all. The whole earth is, is longing and groaning and pointing us to that day. And so again, if we, if we have that mindset, if we live each day and each moment of our lives with that anticipation and expectation of Jesus' return, without a doubt, it'll change our outlook. It'll change our attitude. It'll change our resolve in every situation and circumstance. And just to prove it to you, here are a couple of, of general or, or big ways that it will. Four points. Number one, if we have Jesus' return in mind, it'll give us something sure, something certain to look forward to. Some of you know this, but in one week, I'm going on a holiday. I'm going on vacation. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. It's been like two years since I've been on a vacation. And so it's been, a, it's been on my mind a lot these days. Um, we're going down south where it's warm. Uh, and so it's been on my mind, especially in this cold winter, but also especially in the busy and stressful moments that have, that have come up in the last couple of months where I just wanted to just, you know, throw in the towel and just, just lie in my bed and just do nothing, Right. But part of the reason I didn't was because I knew that I'd be getting that rest that I so 
that I, that I, that I desire, that I need, right? And, and getting out of this cold winter. In a much bigger way, when we anticipate and have Christ return in our heavenly home in mind, it's a constant reminder for us that there's a reason for all this, that we're going to get that rest, right? Especially in times of discouragement or sorrow, we know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a finish line in this race that we're running. And it's that mindset that can remind us and, and motivate us and strengthen us to not give up or not to give in when, when things get rough or when things get hard or when things get challenging, to not give in to temptations and, and, and trials or even to our apathy or our complacency or our frustrations, right? But rather to press on and persevere in God's calling for us through, through thick and thin. As it says in this morning's passage, just a summary, we're of good courage knowing that our eternal home awaits. Right? So therefore, we walk by faith, not by sight. We have hope. When we anticipate, we have hope. And number two, it makes us excited to spend time with God. Speaking of my vacation again. Last time I bring it up, I promise. Um, the way I usually pack for trips is that on the night before, I just, like, throw a bunch of stuff in my bag. And um, I admit that's probably not smart. Um, sometimes I forget stuff because I just, like, whatever, throw, I just think of things in the moment, throw it in my bag, and then leave the next morning, right? But my wife does it a lot better than me. She prepares. In fact, there's, like, two suitcases open in our house right now that have been open for, like, already a week already. We don't leave till next week. And they have stuff in, stuff in the suitcases already. My wife makes a list. She makes sure she has everything she needs. And then she starts packing weeks beforehand. And if she has too much stuff, she knows what she can take out and, and what she can leave, right? She makes herself ready for the vacation. In the same way, if we lived our lives in the hope that Jesus is coming again, if we know that there's an eternal home waiting for us, then we'll want to make ourselves ready, right? We'll want to prepare ourselves for that day. And what's the main way that we do that? By spending time with God, by allowing him to prepare us. Verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. If we look through the Gospels, we're, we're warned by Jesus and told by Jesus multiple times to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. To be prepared. And so we should be eager as Christians with that in mind. We should be eager to spend time with the one who will prepare our hearts with God. And we get to do that mainly through praying constantly, through fasting and reading his word in worshiping, whether alone or with other believers, storing our treasures in heaven by serving and doing good works for the Lord, right? And if that lifestyle doesn't describe you daily, well, again, you may or may not believe in that resurrection hope as like a theology or something, but you're certainly not anticipating or expecting it. If Jesus is coming for us, I think we'd want to ensure that he knows us when he comes and that we know him when he does. So we'll be excited to spend time with him until that day. 
On that note as well, if we know him, I think we'd also be eager to remain alert and sober-minded, watching and waiting for when he does come, right? We'll be, we'll be looking for him. Just as Jesus himself commands us in, in Mark 15, 35 to 37, which says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to, and what I say to you, I say to all, Stay awake. Stay awake. We know that Jesus is coming again. We don't know exactly the day or the hour. We know the season. The Bible says we'll know the season when he's coming again. We'll see the signs. But we don't know the day or the hour. So we're commanded to be watchful and stay awake. But it'll feel less like a, like a commandment for us if we're growing in our relationship with him, right? Because the more and more we spend time with him, the more we'll desire to see him fully. Right, we'll, we'll be like, I, I get the image of, of like a dog, right, who's waiting for his master to come home, right? He's sitting up straight, right, got the, got the slippers already in front of him, you know, staring out the window, watching for the signs and sounds of the car pulling up the street, right, longing to be in his master's arms again. That's how we're supposed to be as Christians, waiting for the master to come home. Or as it says in Luke 12:37, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Isn't that cool when, we, when we're waiting and being watchful for Jesus? He'll see us doing that, and then he will serve us. That's, that's incredible. And so if we expect Jesus to come again, we have that in our mind, and we'll desire to know him, and we'll desire to watch for him and await for and wait for him. All right, number three. If we have his return in mind, it'll instill and remind us of our purpose. Verses nine and ten. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Our purpose is to please him, right? To live for him and proclaim his name until he comes again. That's our purpose. Is Chewbacca in the house? Baby Chewbacca. It's cute. So our purpose is to please him, right? But conversely, we don't want to be found living a life that's contrary to the life of holiness that he's called us and filled us with the spirit to live, right? Luke twenty-one thirty-four says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Right? This world is so easily distracting, right? If we lose focus on the fact that Jesus is coming again, we'll, we'll be so easily distracted with worldly things, with worldly pleasures, with, with the cares of this world, with the stress of this world. But if we're watching ourselves, if we're constantly reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming again, that he is our salvation, that our life is in Christ, then it won't be, it won't be fleeting pleasures we seek, but good works that glorify and point the world to him. In other words, we'll make life choices that honor and glorify him. We'll seek his perfect will and desires over our own. We'll worship him with our gifts and in all that we do. And we'll even joyfully endure burdens for his glory if necessary. Because we know that whatever we face on this earth pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us. 
So if we have in mind that Jesus is coming, we'll desire to not only know him, but live for him. And finally, number four, it will give us urgency in our calling. Verse 11. Paul writes all these things, and then he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. When some people think of Jesus' return, I think they get the wrong idea. Well, some people get the idea that they have to like run in fear and, and hide the end times are coming, which is incorrect. We are not afraid as Christians. But some people also get the wrong idea that they just have to sit around and wait for it. They don't have to do anything. Oh, Jesus is coming. I'm just waiting, just sitting here doing nothing and waiting. And yes, Jesus' return is our hope, and it's natural then that we, that we long for him to come sooner than later. But that also means that time is running out. And if he's coming soon, we should be actually be filled with an urgency to make sure that the church, that God's people, are ready as well. We should be filled with a desire to both encourage believers within the church and to fill the empty seats within the church, to seek out the lost and those in need in order to invite them in. As Paul says here, knowing the fear of the Lord, in other words, knowing that Jesus is coming with righteous judgment, knowing that, we persuade others. We convince others and proclaim to others the gospel so that when Jesus comes again, they know him too. So that when he comes in judgment, they'll be judged according to Christ's work on the cross, not by their own sin. There should be an urgency for that. And it's no lie that many of us are are timid about sharing our faith or evangelizing with others or even inviting someone to church. But think of it like this. If your apartment building was burning down, Would you be too timid to knock on your neighbor's door and tell them that they need to evacuate the building? Or better yet, if a guy was handing out a million dollars downtown to anyone who asked, but just for one day only, right? wouldn't you tell everyone and anyone about it before the day was up? Strangers and friends alike? Yeah, you would. Like, this guy's giving away a million dollars. Go over there. But salvation in Christ is worth more than a million dollars. It's the pearl of great price. The salvation in Christ saves us from the fire of judgment. It's everything. It's freedom. It's life. So why would we hesitate on this? When it comes to sharing the gospel with as many people as we can before Jesus comes again, there's no room for complacency. There's no room for apathy. There's no room for excuses. There should only be an excitement to share our faith and an urgency and a boldness to see as many people saved as possible before that day. The same goes with meeting together as the church. Jesus is coming for the church, for the body of Christ. Not just you, not just me, but the whole And if we truly grasp that, that Jesus is coming for the church, the church would be a priority. The church church will be a priority. There should be a sense of urgency and a longing here as well to be a part of it, 
to invite others into it and to encourage others within it. And you might be thinking, oh, well, Pastor Greg, you just don't want people to skip church. Well, that's true. But this is also from the Bible, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one, one another and all the more. Why? As you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near. As the day of the Lord draws near. If we see it in faith, if we're longing for it, If our hope is placed firmly upon it, our lives and our outlook on life will be changed in every way for the better. In every way for the better. And so, in conclusion this morning, I want want to challenge you all this year to live like that. To live each day, each moment of your life in anticipation of Jesus coming. He could be coming 30 years from now. It doesn't matter. We're to live in the anticipation and knowledge that Jesus is coming again. And if we do, if we place our hope on that day and desire to live our life in preparation for it, I know, I know that God will be able to work in us and in this church in ways we can't even comprehend. I know we'll move with unfettered determination and boldness in our mission and mandate to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. As Psalm 27:14 says, wait patiently for the Lord. But don't sit around, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you gave your life that you humbly surrendered your life and your glory and took upon our sin and shame at the cross, Lord, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could walk in light with life, in new life, Lord. But Lord, I pray that we don't forget that this isn't, that that's not it. That you accomplished so much more than just our forgiveness at the cross. You accomplished our, our resurrection life when you rose from the grave, when you conquered death. And that we await, we await that fullness, we await that glory, Lord God. And I pray that you would, you would remind us over and over again through your Holy Spirit within us, Lord, that, that, that that's our hope. And so in any moment, in every moment of life, Lord, if we're going through frustrations or tragedy or if we're, if we're being blessed beyond compare, Lord, we know that it's pointing to, to you coming again to restore all things, to redeem all things, to gather your church with you into glory, Lord. Lord, I thank you for, for what you have in store for each person and for this church this year, Lord. And I pray that as we look to you, Lord, you would give us the boldness and the faith to be your vessels, to shine your light to this city, Lord. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.